Welcome to Turning the Page, Lexington Public Library's podcast where we discuss library happenings, take a behind-the-scenes look at different parts of the library, and of course, book recommendations and author interviews. I'm your host, Jennifer. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Today's guest on Turning the Page is Hannah Allen, an artist and quilter living in Lexington, Kentucky. Her current work expresses the comfort of a handmade quilt, the joy of creative freedom, and the unexpected happiness in rediscovering past interests. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to Turning the Page. Hi, how are you all? Good. So before we begin, I'd like you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, so I'm Hannah Allen. I am a quilter and artist here in Lexington, Kentucky, and I actually also work at the Lexington Public Library. I Ooh. work in the makerspace here at the Eastside Branch. Yay. Yay, Team Eastside. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a couple questions. We're just going to make it really conversational. So yeah. I'm really happy you're here. Me too. So you are an artist, and can you explain what type of art you make? And do you do other creative things? And how would you describe your art? Yes. So I am an artist and I do consider myself to be an artist top and center. When I tell people that I'm an artist, they obviously always ask, what is your medium? Mm -hmm. And when I say quilts, I get one of two responses. (laughs) I get either quilts and somebody looks at me kind of puzzled because I'm not an 80 year old woman. And that's what they assume a quilter looks like. And they're thinking paints or something like that. Not so much fabric stuff. They don't really think of quilts as art. The other response that I get is, oh, my grandmother was a quilter. She made me a quilt. I don't know what to do with it anymore. So either way, it goes back to being an older, more (laughs) traditional quilter. I am not as old as that, even though some days I feel like it. So I do work in more modern quilting, which is a whole subset of quilting and of fiber arts. I use a lot of traditional quilt patterns and will work them into what I want to decipher through a quilt um, in a more modern technique Mm -hmm. um, and approach. Uh, I also do a lot of embroidery and utilize that within my quilting. I do some fabric dyeing, and then I'm just a generally creative person. (laughs) Yes, I can say that that's true. (laughs) Since I know you. (laughs) What is your background in your education? Yeah, so I just really got back into art like seven years ago now. I had gone to SCAPA here in Lexington, the School for the Creative and Performing Arts, from fourth grade through high school as a visual art major and really had a very strong traditional classical art training through that education, which I'm very, very grateful for. But because I was so young, I got drained very quickly Mm -hmm. and got burnt out by 17, which is wild to me now as an adult. (laughs) And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I, you know, took my sewing machine back up and was like, oh, wait, the one thing, because I sewed a lot as a kid, the one thing that I never sewed was a quilt. I'd like to make that. And really started to be able to appreciate art as something that I could do, not that I had to do for a grade. Right. And it was just, just for yourself. Yeah. And it was just became freeing and a really wonderful new form of expressing myself that was the fun of it was taken away from me as a kid. So it's been fun to get to re-experience that as an adult with a new understanding and appreciation. Right. So it was like fiber art sort of like your do you feel like for yourself it's like your creative outlet? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, My brain works in mysterious ways, and uh, I think if you look at some of the quilts that I've made, you'll be able to understand that. I have made a quilt out of plastic grocery bags that I fused together with an iron and cut and sewed just like fabric. I can't say just like because sewing plastic grocery bags is garbage. It's Um, hard. I would say that's hard. Yeah, real bad. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I 
that quilt was about the tax that you pay in your property taxes for garbage collection here in Lexington, Fayette County. Gotcha. So a weird way of going about things. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, got to express yourself. Yeah. But no, I've really appreciated getting to explore quilting as my form of creative outlet. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Did you go to college? I did. I went to college. Um, I have a undergrad from DePaul University in Chicago in geography and urban planning uh, with a minor in architectural history. And then I have a master's degree from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago in historic preservation, so focusing mainly on architectural history. I am the only living expert on one architect. His name was Dwight Perkins. It's my fun fact. (laughs) But I am not, obviously, using my educational background, that big old master's degree. But in a lot of ways, I am. A lot of the quilts that I make are really rooted in place and the concept of place. Um, So how are you reflecting what a city means to its constituents, what, you know, my last quilt that I just took down from the Loudon House was about the state of Kentucky and plant biodiversity, as well as the agricultural heritage within Kentucky. And, you know, how I wouldn't have been able to do that without my geography background and being able to look at the world through that lens. Right. Um, But I don't have any traditional art education after grade school. I was not taught how to sew in an educational setting. I taught myself how to sew when I was 12. I was really into fashion and did a little bit of education there, but really just kind of did my thing creatively. I think that's great. What I've seen of your work, Mm -hmm. it does seem like it's reflected in, like you said, a place or an environment. So I think that's, I think that's really cool. And it's something that I kind of forget about too, that you get so caught up as an artist in the creation element of your work and of actually doing the work and sewing your seams and cutting your fabric in the right shape that you forget about the overall concept of the piece and like what it means. I did a lecture for the UK College of Pharmacy's Everything is Science series a couple weeks ago. And my friend who was um, organizing it had put a post out. She's like, we have a great speaker who's coming to talk about art and plant biodiversity in the state of Kentucky. I was like, whoa, that sounds awesome. Who is that? (laughs) Like, I didn't even think that, like, that's (laughs) That's, what my work was. Oh, does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I, I didn't even think of look I sound awesome that yeah (laughs) I was just like oh I've made this quilt it was a lot of driving and it's a dumb idea like I took on too much I didn't think that it had the you know an environmental impact like an impact yeah yeah so that's I mean what a great surprise right I'm actually cool (laughs) hey I'm a cool person you were at one time an artist in residency for the city of Lexington how did that come about and what was it like yeah so the civic artist in residence program was started by an organization here in town called Civic Lex that tries to educate its residents of Lexington about civic engagement. So Civic Lex partnered with LFUCG and three specific departments within LFUCG, the Department of Finance, the Department of Family Services, and the Department of Environmental Quality and Public Works to place an artist within that department for a full calendar year and have that artist create work about the department um, and about the people and the work that they do. Um, So I was partnered with the Department of Finance, which quilts and finance, uh, that was a little bit of a hurdle to get past at the beginning. But I am really proud of the work that I did there. Uh, So like I said, I was embedded within the department for a full year. And I created a series of quilts. um, There were about eight of them that all reflected different elements of city financing. So I had Uh, three quilts about the urban service fee that you pay in your property tax bill. Um, I had a quilt about property taxes. Um, I had 
a couple of quilts that were little Dresden plates, which is a traditional quilt pattern that I used to basically make a pie chart that represented breakdowns in the city budget as well as city revenue. I had a really wonderful quilt that I love so much about the grant that the city gets for Narcan or Naloxone purchasing mm-hmm. that they give to the public health department. Um, and the quilt itself is a traditional double wedding ring. Uh, the background is white and then certain arcs of the double wedding ring pattern. I dyed using a hot pink dye and used those shapes to reflect the shape of the chemical composition of naloxone. Oh, um, wow. And I really, I love that quilt. It's so pretty. And I'm very afraid of touching it because it's plain white. Oh, um, yeah. But all those quilts I showed at an exhibit last summer and fall uh, at the Downtown Art Center. And so that was really wonderful to get to show those quilts about city government in a city-owned property and have people come through and get to experience oh, that yeah. gallery and those quilts. Wow. I mean, so. yeah, that's a... It would take a second to think, oh, what am I going to do? Yeah. yeah. It was going to be a little too easy just to make a Excel file quilt of the city budget. Right. Somehow that would have been too easy or, you know, a giant receipt quilt to hang out the window of City Hall. Um, so it was really fun to get to think as abstractly as possible. And the city was really wonderful with, you know, giving me full creative reign there. But, like, I have a quilt that's literally a plush curb and storm drain. <laughs> So if I ever wanted to take a nap in the gutter, I can, and it'd be a real comfy one. I love yeah. it. <laughs> so again, creativity can lead you creativity anywhere. Creativity really can take you someplace. Yes. That is fantastic. And quilts get me into trouble, obviously. So Yeah, yeah. I guess it could uh, open debate about. They're pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what a great medium, right? And that's the thing, too, with quilts. They're so nostalgic to people. And people, like I said, they think about their grandmother when you talk about them. You can do a lot of stuff with a quilt, and nobody is going to be, a f- not offended, but, you know, you can bring up a lot of hard topics and hard conversations and property taxes. Nobody likes talking about property taxes or paying property taxes or knows what they mean and what they do. So being able to make something in a nostalgic and a comfortable and a cozy medium really takes down those barriers. Oh, yeah. I could see that because you're thinking soft and you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is saying this. Yeah, I oh. wanted to hit, take a nap with this quilt, but it's about property taxes, which I hate. <laughs> Would you like the property tax quilt? Yeah. <laughs> so you currently work for LPL, like you said. Now, do you, you work, is it the experimental learning department that you're actually in? Yes. So okay. I am a experiential learning associate. Can you tell us a little bit about the makerspace, what you can do? Yeah. So I started the makerspace in September. I was hired on to work within the makerspace very specifically. The makerspace here at Eastside is on the second floor around a corner, so we're kind of tucked away, which I appreciate, actually. (laughs) We are open to anybody 13 and up, which is important, but we have two 3D printers, two sewing machines, a tabletop CNC router, two Cricut machines, which are vinyl cutting machines with a heat press, a button maker, a 24-inch wide heat laminator, and I'm going to get it all. And a 24-inch wide printer that prints on printer paper, photo paper, and banner vinyl in full color. I did it. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Yeah. There's, it's, but, I mean, it's really wonderful. There's so many things that you can do in that space. Everyone with a public library card has $8 a month to use within the makerspace. At the end of the month, you get a brand new $8. So you've constantly got money to spend in there. You can make 40 buttons for $8. You know, you can make two-foot-long outdoor banner vinyl banner for $8. You can do a ton of stuff. So it's, yeah, it's been really wonderful to get to see how people are utilizing the space. Is there anything that's stuck out so far, something that's been interesting that's been made 
in the makerspace Ooh. since you've been there? We have a ton of stuff. We've actually had a few people recently design their own 3D printed stamps for the bottom of pottery that they're potters and ceramicists, and they've been printing signature stamps oh, for the wow, bottom of their pottery. That's cool. Which is a really cool thing that I, you know, I'm a creative person, but I wouldn't have even thought about that as an application for the 3D printers. Oh, no. Um, so yeah. that's been a lot of fun. We have a really good group of regulars that come in and you know, I can trust them with the machines and they really appreciate being able to have this creative space that's free and accessible to the community. That's great. Yeah. The makerspace is getting ready to start classes or have they started classes? So we've had a couple cricket classes. Okay. I know we have one at the end of March, but it is full and the wait list is full. Oh. I believe we're going to do cricket classes again next month. We have a couple 3D printing classes, just basic 3D printing. What is it? How do you do it? Why would you want to 3D print stuff? What can you 3D print? Yeah, what can you 3D print? (laughs) What our limitations are, all that fun stuff. And then, you know, we've been so busy that the makerspace is an incredible idea and none of us really knew what it was going to be like in application and in practice. And for, you know, all of six months, it was just me in that space, which was Really fun, but also a lot and a little overwhelming. And I didn't have time to plan fun stuff like programs and classes. But starting in April, I'm going to have a couple cool programs. We're doing collage poetry, celebrating National Poetry Month that I'm bringing a local artist in to help me with. We're doing embroidered felt cat toys to celebrate National Pet Day. Which I'm That's excited so about. Cute. And I keep forgetting the catnip, but I've got to make a couple samples and I keep forgetting catnip. Oh um, and then I love zines. National Storytelling Day is in April as well. And we're going to do a zine day just to drop in. And then come June, I am finally doing the very highly requested quilt stuff. Um, so I am doing a four-day quilting intensive just quilts 101 from what is a quilt how do you make it what are the components of a quilt to actually making a completed baby quilt um and that's going to be limited at 10 people uh so have a sewing machine and get on that list um and then in july i'm doing a young creatives camp or like workshop so for three days i'm going to have a group of young creatives and young artists in the space and we're going to talk about what it means to be an artist and what it means to cultivate a creative practice and how you share your art with the world so i'm oh, very I excited love that about idea. that i really love that well you kind of explained it but what what should people know when they come to the makerspace oh you should know so many things you should know that there's a lot that goes on in there so have patience have grace but also not just for me but for yourself that your expectations of Pinterest or Instagram are going to be a lot different than what it takes to create that item in a makerspace or just in general. Um, So just come in with appropriate expectations and also really try to stretch your creativity that, you know, I can show you what we can make, but you know, you've got to come in with an idea and I'm really excited to help you make that idea. But we just got to, we got to all work together. Work together. Yeah. Yeah, Be creative. And also $8 can go a really long way. Yeah. (laughs) That's good to yes. that's good to note. So my last question for you is, what are you reading? Oh, okay. This was a very difficult question uh, because I check out a lot of books, but I don't think I necessarily read them. <laughs> but right now, my most commonly read book, I really love That Sounds So Good by Carla Lolly Music. It's a cookbook. She's an old Bon Appetit test kitchen chef. I absolutely love her. And her food is incredible. But any of the old Bon Appetit chefs, their cookbooks, we have them here at Eastside. Molly and Carla Lolly Music and Rick Martinez, and they're all really, really good. That cookbooks. cookbook is fantastic. Yeah. I her chicken is so good. 
I actually bought a copy of it after checking it from the library because I was cooking stuff out of it and I loved it and I ended up purchasing a copy. So I highly recommend the cookbook as well. well we've got a great cookbook selection here at Eastside. Yes, I have and to say. And cookbook club. Oh, yes, there is cookbook club here. So I'll always plug things. Yeah, <laughs> please. We'll, t- we'll, t- we'll let the person know. I've been going out in public recently and seeing a real cool kid and I've been like going up to them and being like, hey – do you know about the library? And my <laughs> friends make fun of me because I'm evangelizing about the library. But there's so many cool young adults in the community who don't know about it yet. And I'm like, go, come to the go, makerspace. Come, yeah. We're a good gateway place for people. Exactly. Yeah. And we're, you know, we want to help. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. It was really great for you to come. Yeah, and I'm so glad we, I got to be here I'm today. so glad you came. Thank you and hope you have a good rest of your week. Yeah, you too. Thank you. We're going to do a different kind of segment today. All March, the library is hosting Girls Who, a celebration of careers not traditionally held by gender minorities. We found out that podcasting is one of these fields. A 2017 study by WNYC Studios found that only one-third of the top 100 podcasts were hosted by women. Another study published in 2020 by Werner et al. in Permanente Journal echoed this statistic. I feel like this number has to have improved over the last six years, but there aren't any more recent studies. So today on Girls Who Podcast, we are interviewing Juniper Myers, Cecily Salyers, and Brooke Hensley about their work on the library's Girls Who program. Well, thank you all for joining us today on Turning the Page. It's a different kind of interview segment than we've done before. We're calling it Girls Who Podcast to yes. tie in with this program. So I'm going to jump us right in. So, Juniper, would you tell us about the Girls Who program? Yeah, so it's a program we're doing during Women's History Month where we've got women from different careers around Lexington coming in, talking about what they're doing, how they got there, yeah, to to teens. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. This could be for anybody or just how you want to talk about it. How did you all come up with the idea? (laughs) Cecily? That was just thinking on how my role in the system has been navigating finding mentors and bridging partnerships with teens in our area, because a lot of the time they don't have time to come to us. So we have to really bring out a draw. And also remembering how, of course, this was the 90s and hopefully things have changed a little bit for the better, but, you know, fed for the longest time about how there are very female-centric career fields. And then you get a personality test at sixth grade that matches you with the career. And it's the same ones that I was matched with because I had not been introduced to any adult or young adult that had a career that I was interested in for a long time. I wanted to be a video game designer and had no previous exposure to any female or non-binary figure in that field at all. So just wanting to give interactive workshops and show and tell career style days that are actually kind of fun and a little bit more interesting exposure to career fields like tattooing and streaming games for charity and the like. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely focused on like weird careers and 
a focus on especially people in Lexington who are doing these things so they can actually see, oh, here's a person that is realistically doing this thing right. that it's I would want to do. Not something you just read or you mm-hmm. watch a video and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, they live in Chicago. They live in yeah. another state. Mm-hmm. They're right here in our community doing stuff. That's great. Yeah. Well, I read a statistic when we were starting to open the experiential learning spaces about how by age eight girls had already kind of self-selected out of any sort of STEM Mm. career, anything that seemed heavy in science or math because they felt like they weren't smart enough to do it already at age eight. So I think programs like this, as especially since I have a daughter to make sure that girls get to see people like them in their field and to just open up their world a little bit more so that by age eight, hopefully they're not oh, yeah. deciding, well, I can't do that because I'm not smart enough. Oh, so. yeah. Or physically fit. You know, wanting to lead as a kid, I want like to be, you know, I'd like to lead people. I don't know, not be bossy, but I was someone who, you know, was good at like listening and taking direction and like taking others and showing them how to do. And I sometimes think girls don't think that they can be the, the person that's leading the, the meeting or they're the person in the front behind the, the lecture and, you know. And you just touched on one of the biggest things about growing up as a girl or otherwise. Um, a lot of the time when you take direction or decide to take leadership, you're called bossy. Like, I mean, that's one of the main complaints about so many uh, characters in literature as well in fandoms. Uh, A very, very obvious example is Hermione from Harry Potter is a lot of her character is dubbed as bossy or know-it-all. And that seems to be kind of a catch-all term for women who try to lead in any capacity is, oh, you're bossy or not likable, when that's not necessarily an insult in certain areas. So That's true. Yeah, I totally, I, I think that's, as someone who, I worked to myself that I wanted to be someone who could be a mentor to other girls and other women, or, you know, just be a mentor anyway. I think that you know, you have to take that and think, well, that's just a stereotype. I'm not that person. I'm not, I'm just trying to be helpful to people, you know, but it does, it's, it does, it, it paints this picture of like not being likable or something like that, which is so not the case. So, yeah. And not even a discussion when it be- comes to masculinity at all. That's oh, praised yeah, correct. most of the time. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What kind of careers do we have represented this month? We've got we're kind of all over the place here. We've got tattoo artists, a volcanologist, uh, a welder came in. Those are all here at Eastside. We had a polygraph technician and a pilot over at Central. Yeah. Um, we're, we're really trying to hit the whole gamut of what defines a career. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I guess there's a component of something like, oh, that's a, you could. You know, that's cool, but it's like, oh, I can do that as a, like, I can make money doing that or, you know, that's going to be my job. (laughs) That's really cool, you know? Especially things that, like, not necessarily, oh, you either are, you're a nurse or you're a doctor or you're a teacher or whatever. Mm -hmm. No, it's, you you don't necessarily have to go to all that school or you don't necessarily have to do that. Oh, that's really key. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something I thought about. Do you plan to, go ahead. No, go ahead. 
the materials engineer from Corning I had actually holds a patent on her own. And she was talking about going to ceramic school and all this cool stuff so that the people that were there didn't even really know that that was a thing. Like you can go to ceramic school and get a patent for your own type of glass. And it's just, it was really interesting. Oh, wow. That were represented. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the month at um, Tate's Creek is we'll have UK Esports Women in Gaming Club. So it's a full club of gals who game in the community and stream as well. Or I believe they're starting to stream. That's definitely me showing myself in eight-year-old Cecily experience where again eight-year-old Cecily was like, I can't make video games. I and I can't play video games because I'm not good at them. But that's the beauty of nowadays is it shouldn't matter is it's a game (laughs) you adapt as you play and just thinking about hanging out with the whole group of girls who were also in video games because a lot of my friends at that time were already of that mindset oh video games are for boys the only video game characters we see are fully clothed men and then when there are girls in gaming it's not really interesting (laughs) it's an accessory yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's why Metroid spoke to me so much as a kid, I think. Exactly. <laughs> so do you plan to do this series again? I would love to do it as an annual celebration of Women's History Month. Absolutely. I think it's been a really good idea and the community has been pretty excited about it and hopefully we can start planning a little sooner next year and get even more of a range of people in. Like we all know how much representation matters in just everything. So gender minority and female youth seeing the possibilities right in front of them is just, it's so important and the more we can do the better for that. What kind of occupations would you like to try to get next time? I mean, I'd want to push it even weird, not, not necessarily weirder, but like less traditional, um, because I would, one of the people I was trying to get in contact this time uh, was from a mining and demolition group. Uh, it's like women in mining. So that would have been really cool. Or mm. geologists or uh, other kind of careers that also have ties to Kentucky. Oh, true. Yeah. I also spoke with a female farmer who really wanted to come in this year, but was unable to due to scheduling conflicts. But I'm hoping to get some more contact with her next year and possibly some more in that area. That would be amazing. When we first started talking about this program series, we were thinking about the dynamic ways we can have this be a fun workshop, a dynamic workshop. And I am the least sporty person you could ever meet. But just now when you ask that question, I want to invite UK's women's basketball team to (laughs) I think it could be really fun if we could get a basketball goal and have kids do drills. And I have no idea what a basketball drill looks like. I don't know if that's even the right. (laughs) That's why we should have them next year. (laughs) I think that's great. Why not? Yeah. I mean, come on. That'd be cool. Okay. So now we're going to do something a little bit different and let you guys ask us questions as part of the Girls Girl podcast. Um, going back to our eight-year-old young ladies stat, what was a career when you were little that you thought was not 
in your bag? Or in a more shortened version, what did you want to be when you grew up at eight? Because that's kind of a jumping board for next year. <laughs> I was one of those children that wanted to do everything. Like I would see something like, oh, I want to do that. I wanted to do something very daring. And I wanted, I was really in- interested in being a race car driver because I, I just thought it would be awesome and like speed. <laughs> I like to drive fast. Yeah. yeah. Within reason. So yeah, I wanted to do that. And then of course, as you grow up, you realize like, that's not, I mean, I know there's women in racing now, but at that time I was like, that would never happen. Like, you know, I just couldn't imagine that happening, you know? So yeah, that was what I was. And there's yeah, not when, that many, there, there's not that there's many, not that many. In like, yes. it, yeah. there's no one in formula one racing, which is like that's the really epitome. Think, so cool. Formula one. Yeah. It's interesting you said that specifically because one of the people that the welder talked about as one of her influences was like a female uh, high speed uh, person. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Who like went out into the desert and set all records. And yeah. I think just think it would be so cool to do something that that you're sort of like breaking a barrier for. You know, you think about women in politics and things like that. And we're still like, we're still seeing that being not as represented as well. And so like things like that, when you think, gosh, you know, they did something, they really broke the glass ceiling or whatever they, you know, whatever, something like that. So I wanted to be a veterinarian and I actually did in college do the whole pre-vet program. But as it turns out, math actually is not my strong suit, especially (laughs) when you get to calculus. I can do, I'm fine up to there, but I did not do very well in calculus. So I did not keep going in that (laughs) program. But more than wanting to be a veterinarian, I wanted to like have a big Victorian house and run it. That's what I wanted to do (laughs) at eight. And that is a very odd (laughs) thing (laughs) for an eight-year-old to want to do. But that's, that's really upstairs, downstairs. Were you like, no, no, we did watch a lot of PBS because we didn't have cable. So I'm sure Uh, that that (laughs) influenced me in some fashion to just want the, the house and then somehow a career to, yeah. To fund that out. I mean, my mom would always ask me, like, well, what do you want to, what do you want to, like, what, which, what do you want to do now? And I would, I really wanted to, you know, at some point it was like nine, I wanted to be a talk show host. And my grandparents used to always say to me, when are you going to get your own show? Because I would, it's very much like one of those. And now I'm, I'm getting to do it. And I'm like, so thrilled with myself. I just realized I told my mom that she's like, I was, she said that my parents, the grandparents would always say, so when are you going to get your own show? And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm working on it. And I'm like trying to figure out who my band leader is going to be. Like, you know, I was like going to be Johnny Carson you know, or something like that. That's a long reference. But, you know, but yeah, that was something. And now I get to do this. And I think it's I think it's why I love it so much. Because it's still that little me, you know, at nine, maybe, you know, that wanted to be a person that had their own show. That was fun. <laughs> Yay. Else would want to start their own podcast. Oh, that's a good question. I would say just just do it. Like, yeah, your first couple of episodes, just you don't have to have any fancy equipment. You just need, you know, something to record with. A quiet area, a coat closet is amazing for acoustics, and just try it. You know, your first couple are probably going to be a little awkward or, you know, not like fantastic, but you learn each time that you do it. So if you just do it and you can edit as much or as little 
as you want. Some podcasts are unedited at all. So they have yeah. every every thinking noise, everything in there. You don't have to be, you know, an expert at any part of the process to get started. And you just you learn as you go. So. Yeah, that's for true. I was gonna say that's very true. You're gonna make mistakes and your first mm-hmm. podcast is probably not gonna be great. But you know, there's gonna be a lot of mmms and all that until you get sort of find your voice and you're able to just talk without you know worrying about it too much. So yeah. I'm sure as is true with anything, you can't be afraid to just be bad at something to begin oh, with. Yeah. Yeah. Failure yeah. is your friend. You can yeah. learn from it. You have to be okay with being bad at something before you can be good at something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, which is good. I mean, if you can learn from it, just keep on going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't, don't let it stop you. Yeah. Like, you know? I listened back to the first episodes of Tales from the Kentucky Room, which is the one that I kind of cut my teeth on actually editing a podcast because I could audio edit because I taught it at the digital studio, but actually figuring out how to cut somebody's voice without taking out all of their breathing so that it sounded like they're just like a freight train <laughs> running. Um, those early episodes definitely like Everybody's just going real fast. They take no breaths. Everything's all smushed together. And it's it's an experience. <laughs> You're like, wow, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, long pauses, you don't want long silence, but you want some breathing room. <laughs> yeah. Pausing is fine. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, I think make bad art is a, is a whole thing. Yeah. My quick shout out to Silver Programming make bad art at the library. <laughs> nice. But yeah, I, I think that's a really valuable thing is you don't need to necessarily be doing something immediately good. You don't have to be perfect at it. You can just do something. You can be as good as you are at it. And then you know, growth is going to grow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes just dabbling at something kind of makes you see that maybe it's not that one component of something that is what you're that's not the niche, but it could be something else that comes from that, that you find your voice or you find that thing that really makes you happy. So I think that's what's wonderful about being able to just, I mean, us just talking about this today. I mean, you start thinking about things about your life and how we do things every day and what we want to do, what we, you know, the dreams we had and all those things. So, I mean, that that's a podcast. And so look who we're talking about that, you know? We created yeah. a podcast. So, and I do want to say, like, even though calculus was not my strong suit, I still ended up with a biology degree because <laughs> I adored it. And once I got past that one class, and I passed it just by the skin of my teeth, and so I kept going with that. So you don't have to, even if your original idea isn't what you end up doing, you can still do the parts that you enjoy and you love, and then you end up using them, you know, in your whatever job you end up doing. So like I have done cholera programs. We did a cholera podcast series with my understanding of biology. It was a lot easier for me to kind of be into those weirder, interesting topics and be able to design programs around them. So, Oh yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think that even kind of brings it back to the variety that we have in our girls who program is just like, sampling a variety of fields so you can see what all is out there. Like you said, you went through the pre-vet program and you stumbled on one part of it, but you still got the biology degree. And then that leads you to see all the different things that you can do with that. So the variety that we've had in like, not even just 
non-traditional female fields, but like the volcanologist and just really outlier fields in general, I feel like it's a really big thing for the program in general. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the welder started out in jewelry school and, you know, she's taught welding and like mid welding and larger scale stuff. But I mean, the, there's this whole transformation through her career, but she still held on to that stuff. I mean, even me, like my bachelor's degree is not in anything related to, to library science. I went to art school. Right. So, yeah. so did I. <laughs> the polygraph technician actually has a degree in art history and ended up going on to join the police department and working in undercover operations and now doing polygraph technician work. And it's just the journey of all these backgrounds to all these different careers is really, really interesting. And all of our speakers have been for the most part explaining kind of in a nutshell, how they got from the idea of being this thing to actually being this thing. And it's just really informative and educational overall for staff and attendees alike kind of my favorite part of the whole thing is that like how people figured it out and put it together yeah yeah oh yeah that's cool yep. that's wonderful okay so we always end our interviews by asking our interviewees what they are reading so if you guys just want to go around and tell us what you're reading and why you like it or don't like it that is even that's more fun. interesting <laughs> I just, just yesterday started listening to Infinity Sun by Adam Silvera. I have not listened to or read any of their books. And it's been a long time in my TBR that I've wanted to read They Both Die at the End. But I was feeling more fantasy first, which I believe that's also fantasy. But finally given Adam Silvera the try. And so far, really fun. I am reading a few things. I've been on kind of a Catherine Dunn kick lately. I just finished Toad, which was fantastic. And now I'm reading Geek Love, which is also tragic and fantastic. I'm also reading a young adult book called Gabby Girl in Pieces by Isabella Quintero for the teen book club that we'll be starting here in a couple months. It's going to be Finding Your Voice, Speaking Truth to Power. We have a short reading list for anyone interested in that. And I'm also reading Haunted History of Invisible Women by Leanna Hyber, which is a book of short pieces, some essays, etc. about stories of female ghosts, as well as historical events that bred the ghost tales here in America. So it's really interesting. Definitely recommend that one. That sounds really cool. I am like right directly now in between books because I just finished my last book the other day. It's The Half-Built Garden by Ruthanna Emrys. It's it's very dense. Uh, it's You know how sometimes you say, oh, here's a nonfiction book, but it reads like fiction. This is a fiction book that reads like nonfiction. Oh, wow. Um, it's kind of a, a counterpoint to the to ideas of like a solar punk future or a cyberpunk future where you've got aliens coming to Earth and uh, humanity's reaction to what if aliens came to Earth and said, great, we found you. Now we need to get you all off this planet right now. And oh, wow. that's, that's where the book starts. So it's, it's very good. Uh, it is very dense, but I, I really enjoyed it. So now I have to find something really, really lighthearted to kind of like refresh oh my, my brain. God. Right. So I, I'm, I'm looking for my next one right now. That's cool. Yep. 
Awesome. Well, thank you all thank for you guys. joining us today. It was really fun to do this different kind of segment. Yes, than we what enjoyed we it. We do. We really appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, so thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Turning the Page, a podcast brought to you by Lexington Public Library staff. If you've enjoyed listening, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts, you can email us at elibrarian at luxpublive.org. That's elibrarian at L-E-X-P-U-B-L-I-B dot org. I'm Jennifer, and we'll be back to turn another page.